Thanks for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching, help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics. Some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation. And other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of a yoga teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, please visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. Alrighty, hi everybody. This is Karen Fabian and welcome to the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast Conversations for Yoga Teachers. This is episode 14 and today we're going to explore movement from the perspective of both anatomy, biomechanics, kinesiology, and rehabilitation. My guest has extensive experience in these areas and I know you're just going to love the science and evidence-based discussion that we'll have. Today's episode is being sponsored by my event, the Bare Bones Yoga Urban Wellness Weekend, which is a two-day opportunity right here in Boston for you to learn, grow, and experience a whole variety of things geared towards improving health. You know how common it is to use willpower at the beginning of the year to make healthy changes. Well, willpower usually doesn't last much past February, but gaining knowledge about key things like movement, how the brain works, stress relief, and other techniques can put you on a more powerful path to improving your health. All this and more is in my two-day event. So this event is January 12th and 13th here in Boston. It's actually across the Charles River in Cambridge. And to sign up, all you need to do is go on my website, and that is barebonesyoga.com. So I want to dive right into it and introduce today's guest, and his name is Josh Landis. Josh is a strength coach and a licensed massage therapist by trade, but really likes to be referred to as a movement coach and a manual therapist. He combines many different bodywork techniques and movement modalities to create an integrated approach to helping clients resolve pain, expand movement capacity, and improve overall performance. So Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Karen. I'm excited to, to have a conversation with you. Yeah. Talk about some cool stuff. Yes, absolutely. Now tell people where you're calling from. I'm calling from uh, out in Denver, Colorado. Okay. I've been out here for <clears throat> about nine months now, and I was originally back in Los Angeles. Oh. So I'm pretty fresh out here, just kind of getting started. Okay, cool. What's the weather like out there today? It's actually pretty nice today. We had kind of a cold, a cold. I don't know what do you call it. We we had like a week or two where it was just like almost like single digits. Most oh wow! Of the time, but now it's starting to warm up again. So okay, it's like fifties today, so it's nice. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Well, let's start out. Um, let's start out just telling people a little bit about you and your fascination and dedication mm-hmm. to human movement and how you got into this. Sure, totally. Um, <clears throat> well, I'll make a very long story short. <laughs> um, I grew up being a really active kid, played lots of sports, um, and I was really into basketball growing up. And uh, I ended up experiencing a lot of just you know different types of pain, low back issues, shoulder issues, and things like that that really held me back a lot when I was a young athlete. And uh, that kind of followed with me in through college. <clears throat> and when I got to college, I started to really dive into working out a lot more, getting into, you know, traditional strength training and weightlifting. And um, it really actually helped me as I started to learn more and more and more about kind of how to, how to refine certain movements, how to work around certain issues my body had, how to address specifically certain issues my body was having. It really made me feel 
better in my body than I ever had. And mm-hmm. so strength training kind of was my in to learning about movement and the body and anatomy and all of that. And um, as my journey has gone along, I ended up actually getting a degree in kinesiology in school because I got so fascinated by the process that I wanted to continue mm. to learn more. And so I ended up getting my degree in kinesiology. I just have continued to, to learn ever since. Mm-hmm. And when I first started out um, as, a, as a trainer, that was kind of what I initially decided I was going to do after school just because I couldn't afford to go to you know graduate school or anything. Right. I decided I'd kind of pave my own path of education and you know delve into certain techniques and different body work things and all of that to just learn more on my own. And so uh, the first thing that really was kind of a paradigm shift for me was actually taking a neurokinetic therapy seminar, which is NKT, mm-hmm. which some of your listeners may have heard of before. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> that was my intro to uh, kind of having a more hands-on, advanced, specific way of assessing people. Mm-hmm. And it introduced me to muscle testing as a, as a way of doing that. Hmm. So eventually I, I you know, went through all of the coursework with NKT, went through level one, two, and three, finished all of that. And I still felt like um, as far as, you know, the results I was getting with client com- clients combining, you know, training, um, corrective movements, mm-hmm. and even some of the protocols that I had learned, you know, going through the NKT stuff, I still was was not quite satisfied with the results I was getting and I wanted to learn more. And mm-hmm. that's that's kind of my natural personality. I'm a curious person and I really like to, to dive deep when I get into something. Mm-hmm. And so kind of the next progression from there was taking another course called PDTR, which is proprioceptive deep tendon reflex. And that just kind of took the same style of therapy using muscle testing and, and looking at the body from kind of a very well-rounded, holistic, integrated perspective <clears throat> and being able to suss out where these neuromuscular dysfunctions and compensations are coming from, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's knee pain or an inability to squat well or you know, trouble getting your arms over your head or back pain or whatever it could be, mm-hmm. <clears throat> having more and more tools. PDTR gave me more and more tools to be able to help kind of suss that out. And so over the years now, the last maybe, I want to say six or seven years, I've really just been focusing on um, refining and and continuing to improve my techniques when it comes to, you know, assessing assessing movement ultimately is kind of the, the crux of it. Mm-hmm. And then using different techniques to try to help my clients feel better. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. And I'm continuing on that journey of, of learning and refining my my methods Mm -hmm. so you work like how you put that all into practice is you work with clients one-on-one in a in a center yes okay all right awesome so you know I think some of I know a lot of my listeners are yoga teachers and I'm sure Mm -hmm. they're not thinking this in terms of kind of what's in their head but just to kind of throw it out there one of the reasons I reached out to you is because there are parallels between personal training working with clients one-on-one and yoga teaching certainly because they're both movement modalities but Mm -hmm. also from other aspects we're both cueing people you know sometimes we work with people one-on-one sometimes we work with people in a group so Mm -hmm. I want to just wanted to just kind of kick off our conversation with a little bit of the logic just for the listeners in terms of okay so here we are talking about movement you're approaching it from the perspective of personal training I'm approaching Mm -hmm. it from yoga a lot of the listeners are um, but there are many areas where we intersect Definitely. So, definitely. Yeah. Movement is the language that we both speak. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So, let's talk a little bit about this idea of cues. So, in both personal training and yoga, you know, we're both cueing people, and it's such a large part of how we communicate with our clients and our students. Even if, as a yoga teacher, I'm demoing something, or maybe you demo something to your client. So, what? Let's talk a little bit about providing cues and mm-hmm. how both trainers and teachers can provide effective cues. Totally. Well, <clears throat> cueing, I think we had a little conversation about this earlier, too. Mm-hmm. Cueing in general, I mean, there's a lot of ways to cue someone, first of all. And, you know, determining which cues are going to resonate with which clients is one of the major challenges of us as coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's external cueing, internal cueing, tactile cueing, mm-hmm. you know, hands-on cueing visual demonstrations. There's a lot of ways to try to get our clients and the people we're working with to, to better understand what we want of them. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think generally when it comes to cueing, one of the issues that I find common in, in not just training, but all movement modalities is when we're first starting out learning 
learning whatever it is we're learning, whether that's strength training or yoga or whatever, we were taught, or not even taught, but we typically tend to think of, of kind of our means of teaching by uh, uh, remembering cues, kind of getting the bullet points of each movement or each pose or each lift or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I notice this all the time with, with young coaches and, and young new teachers is that they're just kind of regurgitating uh, the cues that they learned mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily fully connecting with the ideas behind what those cues are trying to do. <laughs> and so, um, you know, you hear all the time with like, with, with and personal training, well, shoulders down and back, shoulders down and back, or stay in your heels or whatever it is. Right. And <clears throat> a lot of these, a lot of times these cues don't really mean anything to our clients who aren't necessarily a coming from the same background we are, so they don't mm-hmm. they don't know what the cue means in general. But then, if if the cue isn't resonating with that person, we need to ask ourselves then, okay, how do we how do we adjust this? Do we do we bring more attention to their kind of inner awareness of what's going on in their body, mm-hmm. or we give do we give them more of an external type of a cue where it's like you know lift through the crown of your head and make your spine long? You know these type of cues that oh, are yeah. not not necessarily anatomically based, <clears throat> but they give our clients a better idea of what it is task-wise that we're trying to get them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times for myself, I notice that, you know, usually when I'm working with someone one-on-one, especially I'll always demo whatever we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, getting that visual of, of kind of what we're trying to achieve as far as alignment or position or whatever it is, that's helpful. But then also um, queuing up, I always, really tend to focus on embodiment when it comes to movement. And I think that's a big part of yoga too. That's maybe why we connected a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, even with strength training, I think embodiment is a really important factor, really paying attention to what you're feeling in any particular area of your body during any given movement. So how so does all, that, let me just jump in. How does that come yeah. up like in your cues? Cause I know in yoga teaching, I might say, you know, um, I might say something like, how does this feel in your body? Or what are, Mm -hmm. rather than saying you should be feeling or um, this should Mm -hmm. feel good, how do you, in your work, cue people to that embodiment part? That's actually a really good question because sometimes, and you'll hear this too, even with those cues, like like you said, where you should feel it here. I want you to feel, (laughs) you know, tension here, this muscle working. And oftentimes that's not the case because even though our intention with any given movement is to get them to feel certain things or get certain things right. working more, they don't necessarily connect with that because that area might be just kind of really vacant for them or might right. be kind of a, bl- a blind spot for them. And so when you're taking them into something where like you should really feel a deep pull through your hamstrings, well, if their hamstrings aren't super tight but their low back is, they might not feel it in the hamstrings. They might feel it through their back instead. So <clears throat> that's a that's a really important piece. And usually what I'll tell my my client says, look, here's the objective. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I want you to let me know what you're feeling. Ah. And if what you're feeling is incongruent with what we're trying to feel, let me know and we'll see what tweaks that we can make. Uh-huh. To, you know? And so that's generally how I'll approach it more often than not. Yeah, that's interesting because I know, I think over 15 years of teaching, the most common question I get in that vein along those lines is someone will come into pigeon, the kind of traditional one where you're facing the floor, and they'll mm-hmm. call me over and they'll say, what should I be feeling here? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> like, tell me, tell me what I should be feeling, which I always mm-hmm. find so curious because I, I really know the translation is what is this, what are the actions of this pose? You know, yeah. so I might say, okay, so let's just look at it objectively. This hip is an external rotation and flexion. This hip is an extension. So mm-hmm. maybe you're feeling this and this, but why don't you tell me what you're feeling? <laughs> hundred percent. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather get the feedback from the client and be like, what do you feel? Does this feel comfortable? Does this feel painful? Right. Are you feeling more, more, you know, uh, more going on in this area of your body versus this. Right. Right. And, and I think and, too, that languaging around you should be feeling, it's almost like then the client <laughs> or the student might feel badly if they're not feeling that. Yeah, exactly. That they're doing it wrong. And right. it's not necessarily doing it wrong. Part of what we're doing with movement is it's just exploration. And it's, right it's gaining a better proprioceptive sense and awareness of what is going on in our bodies. And that's right. part of what having a movement practice is all about is just connecting with our bodies and how we connect with our bodies and how our bodies feel can change all the time. And it will continue to change, especially as you progress through whatever you're, you're working on. Right. You know? Right. And I think too, when you started this conversation by saying, um, 
and this, I, I think this sometimes comes up a lot with new, whatever it is, new trainers, new teachers. It's, there's so much learning that's happened to ramp them up to the point where they're now putting it into practice that I yeah. think in some ways through no fault of, of their own, there is kind of this just saying and saying and saying without the saying and watching or saying and changing it up based on what you see. Um, but I think what you're talking about really does require a little bit of a deeper knowledge to be able to say it, know the it reason does. why you're saying it, and then be able mm-hmm. to adjust it based on what the person's saying back to totally. you. Totally. And creating you know, a, a, a context for the person and what the movement means, what we're trying to achieve with the movement, why we're doing the movement in the first place, and also how that carries over to whatever their ultimate goal is, whether that's, you know, I want to hit the slopes this winter and I want my knees to feel good doing it, or... I want to put on 10 pounds of muscle because blah, 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 blah. You know, whatever right. it is, the goal is to ultimately get them to that goal. And so <clears throat> cueing it in a way and, and getting them to feel it in a way that's going to be conducive to that is important too. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, there's a lot in cueing that we can that we can break down. I, I just want to kind of, yes. kind of button this up just a little bit by thinking, okay, so now that we've laid this out, how could we help our – how could we help people listening in terms of what does this really look like? So as I'm hearing you, I'm thinking, so as a teacher, I need to have a good comfort level around what's the point of what I'm asking somebody to do in the first place. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That's where everything starts. Okay. When you're, when you're designing your programs or your class structure or your, your flow or whatever it is, make sure that you have a purpose behind it. And I would say make that purpose known right off the bat to your students or your clients that you're working with. Yeah. They have, an idea of what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, know? that's interesting that you say that because I um, I do find when I go to a class or when I teach a class and I might say, you know, um, let's say I'm just starting them out with some basic movements and then I might have them do something and bring them into Warrior 2 and I might say, you know, we're going to do Warrior 2 first instead of Warrior 1, which I'm sure you probably know as being somewhat the traditional place to start. But we're mm-hmm. starting with Warrior 2 because blah, 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 blah. You know, mm-hmm. something that gives them, or here's a couple movements, and here's, you know, the reason why I'm starting you on your back instead of child's pose, which is, again, mm-hmm. somewhat kind of the traditional way of starting a yoga practice. So that's that's interesting that you kind of share, you kind of pull back the curtain on the rationale behind what you're doing, which Absolutely. I think in personal training you have more of a chance to do because it is more of a back-and-forth yeah. dialogue. In yoga, you know, we're standing there talking. There's no feedback from the client other than the people – other than what we're seeing. Yeah, or them raising their hand and being like, I don't get this, this doesn't feel right. Right, or something right. like that, yeah. Right, it's funny, I taught a group <clears throat> class the other day and this hardly ever happens, but somebody in the middle of a particular pose, I can't remember what we were doing, she actually said out loud, she said, can I ask you a question about this? And I was like, sure, <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's kind of such- a welcome surprise, Exactly, right? like I kind of wish there was a format for yoga classes where there could be back and forth dialogue, even mm-hmm. in the group experience. And if people did yeah. it in kind of a, you know, not yelling or anything, it probably wouldn't be all that distracting. And I bet a lot of people would have the same question. I would tend to agree in a group setting. A lot of us are afraid to ask the question. Yeah. Maybe we don't want to look dumb, but I think when someone asks a question, there's probably at least a handful of other people who are wondering the exact same <laughs> yes, thing, but exactly. you don't want to ask. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That would be, I don't know how what you would call that kind of class, like, you know, back and forth conversation yoga class. Like, you're not going to get a ton of Zen, but you're probably going to learn a lot, maybe in a different yeah. way. Um, all right. So let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, this and this I'm seeing in my own personal practice, this theme uh-huh. about um, looking at yoga, you know, as both a balance between both strength and flexibility. And and uh-huh. especially now in the beginning of the year, I'm seeing a lot of new students in my classes. You're probably seeing a lot of new clients who have goals, new year goals around yep. getting more whatever it is. But so many people are coming to yoga because they want to get more flexible. And uh-huh. so we talked earlier when we had our pre-call about the balance between strength and flexibility, whether it's on the mat or other forms of exercise. So let's talk a little bit about that. Sure, totally. Well, right off the bat, I'll say that I think that when it comes to either modality, whether it's training, strength training, or yoga, there's kind of preconceived notions about what that thing is supposed to do for you, Mm -hmm. right? Like you said, when people are, are popping into a yoga class, maybe for the first time, 
it's either probably to be some sort of kind of meditative spiritual experience for them right. or like you said just to kind of open up and get more flexible get more mobile right when it comes to training i think a lot of times people just pigeonhole it as oh, yeah. i'm here to i'm here to either lose weight Mm -hmm. or gain weight, or get stronger, mm -hmm. or whatever it is, in improve performance in some way, right? Mm -hmm. But that's, ultimately, I don't, I don't even like to, to draw a line between any movement modalities, because at the end of the day, I really truly feel like our ultimate goal is just to, A, connect with our bodies better, mm -hmm. B, imp improve the capacity with which our bodies have, as far as movement goes, and, mm -hmm. and ultimately we want those things to carry over to improving the rest of our lives. Right. And so... You can you can go into strength training and use it as a means of actually improving your mobility or your flexibility, mm -hmm. right? You can go into a yoga class and actually get stronger right. by doing yoga. Right. It, it's not one thing or another. So it all kind of depends on on what your intention is going in, and you'll find the right teacher or the right you know philosophy or the right class, whatever it is, that will align with what your goals are. And ultimately, I just encourage anybody to everybody to find some sort of movement practice that they can stick to and that they enjoy and you can get you can reap tons of benefits no matter what what modality that you're using mm -hmm. and so you know i would say that <clears throat> it's both important to focus on becoming stronger i ultimately think that pretty much everyone under the sun should do some level of strength training mm -hmm. um but again you don't want to just focus on just getting stronger just raw numbers amount of reps amount of weight you can throw around on the bar. Mm -hmm. And with yoga, it shouldn't necessarily be about I need to get to X pose or Y pose or be able to hold this at its end range for a really extreme amount of time or anything like that. It's it's more about achieving balance and, and actually making sure that your training is making you better, not worse. Mm -hmm. Now, um, let's talk about that idea in the context of, let's say I'm a yoga teacher and I'm focusing a lot on poses that bring people to the end range whether it's mm -hmm. encouraging them to take like the more advanced bind or holding them in poses and cueing them in such a way that's really emphasizing flexibility mm -hmm. you know how can we bring more of a balance you know maybe not so much specifically to yoga teaching but how what are some ways we can bring some more balance into it and and even as practitioners you know just in, if we're primarily doing a lot, we've talked about yoga being very focused on pushing away and not mm -hmm. a lot of pulling. So what mm -hmm. are there some things that come to mind about bringing more of that balance? As far as yoga goes? Or yeah, or even just general movement. Like when you <clears throat> see clients, do you, do you, how do you kind of identify that they've got some imbalances and what are some... Because I know for myself, when I started thinking about the biomechanics of yoga being facing the floor a lot, pushing mm -hmm. away from the floor a lot, I started to think about what are ways that I can flip that script and integrate a little more of the opposite into my teaching, whether it's even just something like instead of starting them in child's pose, starting them on their back. Mm -hmm. Totally. Well, I think ultimately, no matter, again, no matter what movement modality you're using, balance should be the goal. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, when I'm looking at anybody who comes to see me for the first time, everybody I see gets a full assessment because I want to see kind of where your blind spots are, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to focus on improving the capacity with which our body, you know, can function. Mm -hmm. And so um, we want to assess different areas of the body, whether that's muscle groups or joints, different subsystems and how they're working together. In the world of strength training, typically there's kind of a handful of movements that have kind of been widely accepted as kind of being like the foundation of, of basic strength training, you know, learning how to hip hinge, learning how to squat, mm -hmm. learning how to push, learning how to pull with your shoulders, learning how to breathe and use your core. And uh, I think that you need to make sure that you're, you're constantly aware of the areas that you're not feeling uh, dialed in on mm -hmm. and um, utilizing corrective strategies to do so. And there's a million different ways that you can do that, but just having some sort of systematic approach to being able to identify those blind spots is, is huge for us as practitioners. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's trickier to do in a group setting, yeah, but it's definitely still possible. You know, you can, you can almost use a lot of the poses and, and movements you're, you're using as both kind of an assessment and screen to kind of see where your clients or students are. Right. And also you can tweak and modify those, those poses or, or movements to actually be the therapeutic intervention itself. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways about how to assess, and we can get into that a little more as we continue talking. Here, yeah, but, um, yeah. 
So I'm always looking for those blind spots, basically. Yeah, and that's interesting, and it's funny because I'm sure one-on-one with people, and I just know I was chatting with you before we started this about some work I'm doing with a personal trainer and that I'm finding some blind spots around my shoulder blades and some mobility yep. I don't have there. And when you said uh-huh. earlier about people sometimes have parts of the body that are just dull, um, mm-hmm. oddly, I've I've found one <laughs> in my own body, which is kind of unbelievable to me. I thought I had really good body awareness, but some of what he's asking me to do, I feel like I'm doing. And he's like, uh, no, you're not doing it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's totally. interesting. Right. So it's interesting um, in a group setting, you know, that kind of gets, I just want to take a little bit of a side path and go back to when we were talking about cues at the beginning, kind of mm-hmm. staying in this, this category though of if you're cueing to something and you're seeing people that are not doing it in the way in your kind of ideal mind you want it to be happening mm-hmm. can it can it be a little bit because their body's compensating and can you correct them to the right way or how many attempts do you do that and when do you just kind of because you can't see in their body you can't see if there's like an actual literal block to them keeping their feet straight because there's something about the way their femur connects with their pelvis right so what what do you do there well that's a really good question just diving into the idea of compensation in general Mm -hmm. um compensation i think often is kind of has a negative connotation to it in Mm -hmm. our industry we assume that you know compensations are well, you're compensating here. You're doing it wrong. Well, more often than not, and I've kind of flipped my philosophy with this over time, especially as I've kind of gone through some of the studies that I've gone through and techniques that I've learned. I've learned to kind of think that um, compensation is never really inherently bad. Mm. It is It is ultimately what your nervous system and what your body deems as necessary mm-hmm. to make whatever you're trying to do happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So, for example, if you're trying to squat, right, that's and let's say your your right knee just isn't having it. It's it doesn't have the ability to maybe go into like ninety degrees of flexion or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, your body, your nervous system, even subconsciously, will recognize that. It'll recognize that there's either a structural limitation there, or there's a stability problem in that joint, and so it's going to try to work around it as best it can. Mm. So that might show up in a squat by shifting to the opposite leg more, shifting the mm. weight away from it, or not being able to go down as far. Mm. Or maybe or maybe the shin or the tibia starts to externally rotate more mm. as a compensation, or the foot starts to overpronate, as an example. Mm. And so rather than being like just kind of barking in their face, right. turn your foot in, drive your right. drive your knees out, drive your knees out, or whatever it is, right. go deeper. It, <laughs> clearly the person knows what you're asking of them generally, right. but they don't have the capacity to do it. And so we need to be able to recognize, you know, when is it, when is it kind of a, uh, there's kind of a gap in the communication. They're not understanding what you're asking of them versus they understand what you're asking of them, but they literally don't have the capacity to do it. Right. And that's what you're, and that's what you're seeing in the compensation. And so recognize that the compensation is almost always a necessary thing, or at least what their nervous system seems as necessary mm-hmm. or deems as necessary. And so, um, don't vilify all compensation. Instead, ask yourself, well, why are they compensating? Mm-hmm. Let's maybe take a look at and see if I maybe adjust the position where if instead of doing a squat, I have them do, I don't know, I have them do a more hip, a hip-centric movement instead where there's less knee flexion involved, right? Ah. Um, or, or regress the movement in a way where I'm putting them in a more stable position. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm adjusting the orientation of the body or the alignment in a way that's de-emphasizing the area that is that is giving us problems and see if that improves the movement, right? There's a lot of different ways we can go about it. Um, and usually when I'm seeing something that's just like a really gross compensation pattern that is typically um, something that I'll be like, okay, we're, we're not quite able to figure out what this is via modifying the activity. Right. So that's when I'll usually you know, have someone pop up on my table and we'll start to assess a little more deeply what's going on and what's driving that dysfunction. Right. I see that a lot in, like you're saying, squat, which is kind of not exactly just in the world of personal training, but I think of it in the context of yoga as chair pose, you know, Mm -hmm. to some extent. And I think about when I teach and some people can very easily bring their feet together, sit in chair pose and flex their shoulders so their arms are up, you know, straight up to the sky, basically not straight up and down, but at a slight angle versus other people who 
can't keep their feet together, who have this really um, big sway back as they throw their arms up in the air and they start to hyperextend through their tailbone, you know? So I started to think yep. about, well, maybe if I have them come into chair from standing rather than halfway lift, or maybe I, you know, think of having them come into chair, but don't get the arms involved, start with their hands at the heart and then reach their arms straight out ahead and then slowly, you know, just different ways, kind of like what you're saying, kind of progress into quote unquote, the ultimate shape and look yes. for where things start to break down and then maybe go backwards or. Totally. And what we were talking about earlier, I think plays into this too, ultimately, <clears throat> you know, whether it's chair pose or squatting, what is our goal with the movement we're doing? Mm. What are we, what tissues, what areas of the body, what joints are we trying to incorporate and, and get more work out of? And if what we're doing with that person isn't working for them to get them to feel it in the way we're trying to get them to feel it, what modifications do we need to make in order to facilitate that? Mm -hmm. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's yeah. funny. When you were talking before about the nervous system and, and this mm -hmm. idea that the body's going to compensate based on feedback, you know, from the nervous system. It makes me think about um, when you get to the part in, in a traditional or somewhat typical yoga sequence where you take people into wheel pose. And I think that particular shift from I'm on the back, I'm cueing them to bridge, I'm cueing them to bridge again, and then I'm going to say, okay, now let's build into wheel. How that particular transition, there's like five or six different compensatory strategies that show yep. up in bodies, yep. whether it's the feet turn out or the knees turn open or the elbows swing wide or the traps mm -hmm. elevate the shoulder blades even though they're upside down. And so that particular transition from bridge to wheel is I know for me as a teacher I've really over the years changed a ton of how I and I, I'm, I'm always playing with it you know it's always mm -hmm. like shifting these pieces around um so I think so I guess my question is do you feel like that particular movement is one where the nervous system for some people might be saying to them oh my god why are we going in this direction Totally. Which and we never it, do, really, any of them. Yeah. It. Yeah. You don't use it, you lose it, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> the nervous system, ultimately, one of its, I mean, I don't want to go, like, too crazy deep with, like, functional neurology and stuff, but we can dive into that topic a little bit if you want later. Well, only because it's such a common transition in classes, and I think it's yeah. one wrought with so many compensatory strategies, and I just wonder... I don't think as yoga teachers, many teachers think about the impact of the nervous system because they think more functional anatomy, muscles, yeah. bones, joints. Yeah. And to me, that's kind of just like the tip of the iceberg of ultimately mm. what determines how we move. Mm. You know, there's kind of, there's sort of a hierarchy when it comes to movement and, and how our nervous system, because ultimately our nervous system is the thing that's kind of governing almost everything else in the body, right? Mm. The nervous system is is basically your brain, your spinal cord, and your peripheral nerves. Mm. And that's what's you know sending the signal to and from different areas of the body, telling things how to function, right? Your nervous system is controlling your breathing right now, completely subconsciously. It's controlling how fast and slow your heart is beating. It's controlling how you're digesting your breakfast right now. Mm -hmm. It's controlling you know, all of these different things at a very subconscious level. And so um, one, of the, one of the priorities of our nervous system ultimately is to protect us, to keep us safe. Right. And when we're putting ourselves, when it comes to movement, when we're putting ourselves in a given pose or a given exercise or with a given amount of weight or range of motion or whatever it is that perhaps our nervous systems don't feel safe going into, mm. that is where we will get compensation in some way mm. or pain or you know limited range of motion because ultimately the nervous system is kind of pumping the brakes and saying, wait a minute, if you go there, we don't have all the pieces working properly to, to fully function and feel good there. So I'm going to put the brakes on and not let you go there. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately what I, is even determining something, something as simple as like flexibility, right? I can't touch my toes. My hamstrings are tight. Well, my question is, let's not necessarily stretch the hamstrings. My, my question is more, well, why are the hamstrings tight in the first place? Mm -hmm. right? And generally, <clears throat> any, any excessive muscular tension is going to be ultimately determined by how the brain is allowing those muscles to fire, whether that's allowing the muscles to lengthen more, allowing the muscles to contract with, with more force, um, whatever it is to help stabilize us and help us move better. So <clears throat> I want to I go deeper and ask, why are the hamstrings tight? 
maybe the hamstrings are tight from, you know, something, some feedback the brain is getting from the lower back. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's because the feet are not stable and the, the feedback that the nervous system is picking up from the feet uh, is saying, hey, my, my feet aren't stable enough to, to let you go to that end range. So I'm going to limit your hamstring length to not to, to prevent you from going to that place that I don't feel safe going. Right. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So this kind of reminds me of when you go to get a massage or something and there's something that is being palpated in one part of your body, but you're feeling it in another part and kind of that. connection the myofascial chains and and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing that you can't just look at one thing in isolation which again is i think how a lot of like the consumer knowledge of of movement comes and so someone will come up to you and say i have a pain here Mm -hmm. you know what muscle is right here (laughs) yeah and we just kind of assume that the area where we feel something is where the problem is right but that's more often than not not the case it's usually referred from somewhere else or it is um some compensation or compensatory thing happening because, you know, like our glutes don't work because our hamstrings are overworking or whatever it is. Right. There's all kinds of different, different uh, potential reasons why that's happening. But yeah. Right. Ida Rolf said, where you think it is, it ain't something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I think that's a good, a good kind of overall framework. And again, I think in, in a general training you know certainly in the yoga world things are most of the time presented very piecemeal here's the muscles here's the bones here's the joints and and that kind of thing and so now we're talking about yes know those things but there's another level of of pulling in the nervous system pulling in you know the connectivities of connectivity of certain muscles that live near each other and how they Mm -hmm. work in a coordinated way so Um, I think you have to start with the basics, but you have to kind of pull this other stuff in too. A hundred percent. And honestly, you know what? The muscles, before we get into the next topic here, I just want to make a point that, and I think when it comes to us anatomy nerds and and biomechanics nerds and stuff, Mm -hmm. we're really obsessed with, you know, the muscles and the spatial slings and these kinetic chains, you know, how all these things work together to create movement. Um, Ultimately, the muscles are kind of, at the mercy of almost all of the other systems of the body to yeah. kind of in the, the tip of the iceberg. They're the, they're the least, uh, pri- highest, they're kind of like the lowest priority thing. You know, the muscles are, are ultimately going to function based on how the nervous system tells them to function. Mm-hmm. And so we want to understand biomechanics. We want to make sure the joints, each joint is cooperating with the adjacent joint and all the muscles are working, you know, in, in a way that's efficient. Um, but we need to be able to parse out ultimately, you know, if my hamstrings aren't working or if my groin is super tight, what is driving that dysfunction? Mm -hmm. And the muscles can be subjected to all kinds of different things. I mean, they're, they're affected by the nervous system, like I've been saying, but also, you know, our emotions, our thoughts, our beliefs, our joint positions, our internal health, like, you know, our, our gut and our digestion. Right. And I mean, there's all kinds of things. Everything in our body is ultimately connected. Right. And so our muscles, again, are going to be kind of slave to how everything is working ultimately. So we need to be able to look at all of the different systems of the body and see what role that's actually playing in how the muscles are functioning. Mm -hmm. And then in turn, how, how is muscular function or dysfunction feeding into how we move? Right. Right. I mean, hearing you talk about this in this way, it certainly does, in my mind, kind of make the case for, at least in the yoga world, when you're presenting to a group, how helpful it can be, and I don't know, just tell me what you think of this, to kind of stay more in the middle lane than go way to extremes, because there's so much that people can get out of being in that middle lane, given Mm -hmm. how much variability there is in a room with even just 10 people given all the systems you just talked about versus just looking at it as I'm a yoga teacher, I'm going to do a sequence, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, which some of those things may be like super deep lunges, asking for a mm-hmm. lot of flexibility or working people in a particular direction like backbending where they're not used to going. So mm-hmm. to me, it kind of says, which is my mode anyway, but just this idea of like, if we stay in the middle, there's so much we can do with people in a way that, I mean, I don't, when I say safe, I don't want to make it sound like I'm babying it or diluting it, but there's so mm-hmm. much there and there's so many systems that are at work. 
Totally. I think simpler generally is better, especially when we're in that kind of a context, right? Where we've got multiple people kind of all doing the same thing. Simpler is better. And usually overcomplicating things, and then you see this all the time in the training world, things get really crazy really quick. Right. I really like to stick to the fundamentals and the basics because, frankly, most people are not very adequate even there. Right. So there's there's no need to really push to the end and try to work on these really fancy techniques and things like that. Just mm-hmm. just learn the basics first, get good and comfortable there. Right. And, you know, if you have a specific goal, you can start to branch out. But just like anything, the fundamentals are the key. Right, right. I remember some of the first classes I took in yoga with my first teacher, Baron Baptiste. We wouldn't do anything really complicated, and it would kick my butt. <laughs> I would go yep. home, and I'd be like, hey, we just did warriors and some crescent lunges and stuff, and it was so hard. And, you know, he really just played with the variables of – fine-tuning his cues and holding you maybe a little bit longer. And um, and it was very effective. And we didn't yeah. do really anything very complicated. And then over the yep. years, as yoga got more, you know, variable and there's a lot more options and social media and all of that, I think there is a lot more variability and, and a lot more fanciness. Yeah. Um, I but, think novelty has its place because it keeps kind of people hungry yeah. and wanting to do more and interested. But yeah. at the same time, you can never deviate or you shouldn't deviate too far or for too often Yeah, um, from the basics and from the fundamentals. Right, right. Like you said, just these subtle variations, very smite, right. slight adjustments can make a big difference in, in what you get out of any, any given pose or movement. Right. And, you know, it's funny when you do actually kind of slow things down a little bit and hold things a little bit longer, that's when you can see, at least in yoga, a lot of the compensatory strategies. Like at the first two breaths, everybody's all happy and good. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. then it's like maybe by the time you get to five, you start to see the knee kind of dump in or just other other compensatory strategies. That Um, is a huge thing that I use just in general, just to continue on this idea real quick. It's just slowing people down. When you slow people down, the body will show you all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, even just doing a squat instead of rushing through it, mm-hmm. which is normally our way of trying to bypass the things that we can't use right? or that we're not good at. Mm-hmm. If we try to speed through it, we'll be able to, to work our way around it more effectively. But if we're forced to slow down, pay attention to our breath, you know, check in again and make sure our alignment is spot right. on, normally that's when you're really going to start to see these compensations show up. So when I'm seeing something off, I almost always just slow my clients down. Mm-hmm. And then when they do, the up, oh, they start to lose their balance, or up, oh, they start to fall over, up, oh, I start to see, you know, this joint not doing what it's supposed to do or whatever. So Right, you go backwards a little bit. Yeah, you say, okay, yeah. let's slow it down a little. So mm-hmm. the next question that we had when we did our pre-call, we were talking about going into these idea this idea of customizing exercises and changing the client's relationship to gravity. We talked about that a little bit already. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually going to go to the next one and and kind of dive into this other idea. Again, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but this idea of not necessarily knowing the why behind what you're saying. And I know, again, in, in yoga, in yoga, in the yoga industry, there is, you know, really an emphasis on teaching alignment and teaching teachers the verbiage to teach, which is say it this way, and this is the shape of the pose. And so when you talked earlier about knowing how important it is to know the why, you know, what are some of the things that come up for you when when you hear about the, how do you see it in in (sighs) the personal training world? Well, I would say that, I mean, (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot that we could talk about. This is a very open-ended question, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of cool things we can discuss. Knowing the why, I think, just in general in life is really important because it ultimately gives you gives you meaning behind what you're doing. Mm-hmm. When it comes to when it comes to training or or any movement modality, understanding the why as the as the teacher. Let's talk about the teacher's perspective first. Like we were mentioning earlier, it helps you. It really helps you to make adjustments on the fly. You know. Um, instead of just regurgitating the cues and then when those cues don't work and the person's still not getting it. That's all you've got. That's all you. Yeah. That's all you've got. I ran into that a lot when I was first starting out as a, as a, as a strength coach and as a personal trainer, it's like, I'd use all of these, these things that I've heard. Like when, when your person, when you see the knees cave and cue this, when you see this happen, cue this. It's like, once you run out of cues, it's like, okay, yeah. Now how do I get this person to right. do what I'm trying to get them to do? Right. And right. If, if you can understand the anatomy behind it, but then also, um, like we we're saying, the why, what are we actually trying to focus on? What tissues are we trying to emphasize? What joints are we trying to get more 
movement out of? What what particular movement in that joint are we trying to access more? You know, and how is this carrying over to to my the goals for my client? If it's a personal client, just like a one on one, or what is the theme of the class that we're that we're what are we trying to work on objectively in this class today? And and how do I how do I adjust the exercises and how do I cue them? to be in alignment with that. Right. If you don't have if you don't have an understanding of the why, you're not gonna be able to make those adjustments on the fly and that's huge. Right. And then from a from a student perspective or from a client perspective, when you've got a little bit better understanding of what you're actually trying to accomplish and what you're trying to feel, I, I view it as us as the professionals to almost be instead of just like dictating what they should be feeling and what they should be doing, we should almost more so be asking the right questions to get them to discover that for themselves. Mm. That makes mm. sense. And so, like, if I want somebody to, you know, be able to access their posterior capsule of their hip more when they're doing a lunge or something like that, right? I want to, you know, explain that to them. I'm trying to really get you to feel it here, and I'm trying to really open this area up. So, what do you need to do with your foot? I want you to play around with your foot position okay. on that leg and see, and I'll actually kind of make suggestions and like play with this. See what uh... see what you notice when you do this, you know, and kind of put the ball on the client's court a little bit. And I think from a client perspective, that's really helpful when you have an idea of what we're trying to accomplish or kind of where we're trying to access in our body and then being asked the right questions so that they can start to discover that for themselves. Mm-hmm. And usually when you do that, I think I think the learning sticks more with our mm-hmm. with our clients when they discover these things for themselves as opposed to just kind of going with them or you know going along with the cues and, and just going through the motions. They they. It, it makes more sense for them and they learn more and mm-hmm. more quickly and more effectively, I think, that way. Yeah, and I, I kind of think that approach, along with what we were saying earlier, um, along the lines of sharing with your class or your student, if you're working one-on-one, why you're doing it and presenting it the way you are, then they become like a partner in the experience. Yeah, exactly. Put the ball in their court. It's not just they're being like they're on a leash and they're being dragged along. It's like right. they're the ones who are leading, right? We want our clients to be, well, not leading per se, but we we want to be the guide, right? We want to be the facilitators to kind of help open up this experience for the people that we're working with. Right, right. And I think too, I mean, if people are listening, certainly newer yoga teachers, they might be getting completely overwhelmed and thinking, oh my God, now here I took this training and I learned the alignment and I don't really know all the whys behind everything. So, you know, what I oftentimes say in that scenario is, number one, just acknowledge that learning is an ongoing process. So there's always going to be learning happening. And it's not like you go through one training and then you know everything there is to know. And that kind of goes without saying, but just throw it out there. But I think, yeah. too, a lot of times I'll, I'll tell teachers, you know, only teach in a way and with cues where if someone were to come up to you after class and say, why are you teaching it that way? You could answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how often, especially in the training world, I don't know how common it is for you, probably just as common, mm. where, <laughs> you know, I, I, when I was working, you'd see even a commercial gym for a little while when I first started. Mm-hmm. I would spend, you know, hour or two in the beginning, at least, at least an hour, if not longer, working on any program for a given client. I'd mm-hmm. be sitting there just racking my brain. Okay, what did this? Where did this person, based on my assessment, where were they not able to access? What could I do as far as drill to really emphasize this? Right. How do I need to order? Really putting a lot of thought and emphasis and effort into um, kind of the plan that I was creating for a client. <clears throat> and I noticed so many, so many um, trainers. They show up, and it's just kind of like it's like a wad. It's like a workout of the day. All right, right. we're going to do a little bit of this. We're going to do a little bit of that. And we're going right. to do this. It's like we're just here to to move around and, and huff and puff and burn some calories. Right. And ultimately, I think with any, again, with any movement modality, the goal should more so, not, you're not just there to do work, you're there to get better. Right. And if you don't have a plan and if you don't have a reason behind the exercises that you're selecting and the order that you're doing them in and how you're cueing them and how you're making subtle adjustments and whatever else, if you don't have the why behind what you're doing, you're not going to be able to really do any of that very effectively. Right, right. Well, that it's funny. That kind of is a perfect lead-in to this this other kind of related topic of having having kind of a why you're doing it and being able to measure results. And again, you know, in the yoga world, unless we're working with somebody one-on-one, we might not see it. Although there are several cases, and I'm sure people listening have had students that they're seeing on a regular basis, 
and maybe those students are communicating with them occasionally about how they're doing in their practice. When you work with people, you talked a little bit about some of the goals people come to you with, whether it's losing weight, gaining muscle, you know, maybe toning a particular part of the body. How do you blend that into the planning that you do, and how does that inform what you build for them? Well, <clears throat> that's that, that it does everything for me as far as what my plan is. Um, I, I usually try to combine two things when I'm working with anybody new, especially. Number one, and ultimately this is the most important thing, what is it that they're coming to me for, right? Their goal is the most important thing. And usually when I'm asking, you know, what are your goals? Why are you coming to see me? What are we working on? <clears throat> I want to get in a, I want to get a good sense of that. But more importantly, I want to understand why is that goal important to them, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not just the why of the X's and O's of the programming. Right. It's also the why of what does this training goal even mean to you in the greater context right, of how of is your it going to improve your life? Yeah. Um, that's huge. And that's almost the most important thing. And I think it's really important for us as professionals to make sure that we keep that at the center of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, not trying to to overwhelm the client with our own kind of personal agenda of like, well, I thought X, Y, and Z, and we need to improve that. So our whole program is going to be focused on improving shoulder mobility. It's like, well, I came to you because I want to, you know, I want to get ready for my marathon. How right. is my, how is working on my shoulder mobility five hours a week going to improve me for my marathon? You right. know, it's so it's, it's kind of combining, um, the person's goals and what they're actually coming to see you for. And then also using our professional expertise and <clears throat> letting our clients know, Hey, like, I know this is your goal, but these are also some of the things that I'm seeing in your body that I think we should, we, you'd be well served to, to start addressing right. and doing some things to try to work on that and trying to find a good blend of giving them what they want, but then also giving them what we know that they need. Right. Right. And, and, and sometimes those things aren't always fully congruent. And so being tactful and, yeah. and, and and upfront about explaining kind of what your philosophy is and making sure that you stay on the same page with your client is really important. And I see that lost all the time. Right, right. And I think what you just described and how to approach it is actually a really helpful conversation that we can have when we work one-on-one -on -one with a mm -hmm. client in the yoga context. And I know a lot of times I'll get questions from teachers. They're not really sure how to handle that introductory session uh, with a private yoga student. You know, what are the questions I should be asking? How should I, quote unquote, assess? Because a lot of times mm -hmm. we think of assessments more in the personal training world or even the clinical mm -hmm. setting, but we don't always think about it in the context of yoga practice, but it's a movement practice. Yes, there's a spiritual yep. side to it, but when you work one-on-one -on -one with somebody in yoga, you have a great opportunity to assess their movement, <laughs> you Absolutely. know? And, and what you're talking about, knowing the importance of the goal, um, speaks to that spiritual side, speaks to what the meaning is. Um, mm -hmm. I know when people come in to my class for the first time, they don't even have to say it, but I can tell by watching their movement if their main goal is to be more flexible <laughs> because yeah. every movement is taken to like the nth degree way beyond their capacity. Yeah, and then they're starting to get movement in all these other places you're not even trying to get movement. Exactly, right? <laughs> so, exactly. And so I yeah. think when when you just said, ask the person, like, just ask them what, you know, and this, again, is if in my world, if you're working one-on-one -on -one with somebody, ask them what the what their goal is. What Why is that even important? Oh, well, I have a small child, and I want to be able to pick them up and blah, 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 or play with my kids, or I'm an older person. I want to be able to play with my grandkids without having aches and pains, you know, whatever it is, mm -hmm. make that connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think that's that's really um, that's really important. So let's, um, I want to just be mindful of, time and I want to give sure. us a chance to kind of we're, we're going to end up probably doing a part two of this which is what I had thought when we it's had our original totally yeah our original call so I want to just kind of in the last few minutes here again just in speaking to really anyone that's in this movement world we're talking personal training yoga but there could be other Pilates I have some listeners who are Pilates teachers too mm -hmm. um what are a couple of just nuggets that that you would suggest when it comes to just working with people in a movement capacity, just in terms of maybe cues and 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 what you see and how to adjust what you say? Just anything that might give them some comfort if they're starting to feel a little overwhelmed based on what we're discussing. Like, oh my God, how am I going to be able to integrate all this into my teaching? Sure. Well, <clears throat> I would say number one, and this is something that I've had to definitely learn over time, 
um, because I'm kind of more of like a an analytical, logical thinking type of a brain, really dive into the nuts and bolts and the X's and O's and stuff. That's what kind of drew me to be kind of like this anatomy nerd, and I'm sure you're probably similar in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, taking those expertise and that knowledge is really, really important, but I think more important than anything else, no matter what techniques you use or what modalities that you practice, the overall most important thing is the ability to connect with the people you're working with and to create an experience for them mm-hmm. that that makes them, you know, that, that ultimately makes them better. And no matter how well you understand the body, if you can't communicate that well to the people that you're working with, it's all for naught. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you can't get the person to, to understand where you're coming from, to understand your philosophy, to buy in and, again, be on the same page with them, you're going to get very mixed results no matter what you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's not just what you know, it's how you apply it. So that's number one, making sure that you really focus on um, the interpersonal connection side of the coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I've definitely had to learn over time. Um, and I've gotten much better with it over the years. Yeah. Um, number two, like you were saying before, just never stop learning. Right. Don't don't treat it, and I, I tell my clients this too, this, there is no end game for <laughs> us. And I'm, I'm a very process-oriented person. Yeah. And so when someone comes to me and they say, I want to lose X weight or I want to, I want to improve this or I want to get rid of this ache and pain, great. Um, the process, at least in my opinion, my philosophy is there is no end. There is no, okay, I got here, now I'm done. Okay, I, I deadlifted 500, now I don't need to deadlift anymore. Right. It's, it's not about that. Right? I, I achieved this pose, now I can quit yoga. I, I hit my goal. Right. But it should always be an ongoing process. And for us as practitioners and professionals, it's the same thing. It is always an ongoing process of learning, of uh, trying to get just as much out of just as much of a learning experience from our clients as they're getting from us. Being able to notice different things that we're seeing, and constantly be looking for solutions to those things. Mm-hmm. If you embrace the process of learning and knowing that sometimes you're going to run into roadblocks, sometimes you're going to have clients that you just can't figure out. Right those are the ones that are going to push you to grow and learn more and get better. You know, when you come in, you've got X amount of people in your class and they all look great. Awesome. But when you have an, another class, maybe right after that and half of the people in there, they're just, they're just falling apart with right. everything you do. Right. It's, it's going to force you to think on your toes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And if you embrace that process of needing to, of, of constantly learning, finding new solutions to different problems unique to every individual you're working with, that's that's another really key component. Um, and then I would say, uh, you know, in, in time and at your own pace when you're ready, I think it's important to really dive down certain rabbit holes. You know, like I said before, I'm really the type of person who, when I, when I want to learn something, I dive very deep into that thing. I don't just scratch the surface with anything. And that's mm-hmm. where my practice has really brought me. And so <clears throat> don't be afraid to, when you, when you're presented with a new technique or a new perspective or whatever it is in your practice from other professionals or just from wherever, don't be afraid to, to dive deep and ask those questions that a lot of people aren't asking. Because usually when you start to, to, to seek out those, those solutions or ask those questions, you're going to start to discover so much more about yourself as a practitioner. And ultimately, you're going to find so many more tools with which you can help your clients. So I encourage everybody to, again, focus on connecting with the people you're working with, embrace the process of of becoming better over time, and really, really focus on <clears throat> trying to embrace the things that you're not comfortable with or where you're where you're where you're having tr- uh, struggles, and and you know dive down the rabbit hole and go deep and see what you find, and I guarantee it's going to make you better for it and it's going to help your practice. I love it. That's fantastic. Well, let's do this as we wrap up. Tell people where they can find you. Okay, yeah. So, well, if you're local to Denver, um, the clinic that I work out of is called Denver Pain and Performance Solutions, and we're out in Centennial. So anybody local and they want to check us out, you can go um, just on denverpainandperformance.com. You can see kind of some of the philosophy and, and some of the services that we offer. For those of you who are not local but you want to kind of learn a little bit more maybe about me, some of the things that I do, the techniques, that I use and all of that and just kind of sharing more of my perspective, I would encourage you guys to follow me on social media. That's probably the best thing. Yep. And that would be Instagram. 
um, as well as my website. So the website is LandisMovementSystems.com. Great. And uh, my handle is just Landis Movement Systems on Instagram. And Perfect. So, yeah, find Perfect. me there. And I'm going to uh, link to those in the show notes. So perfect. for listeners, they, you know, you're already listening, but my website, barebonesyoga.com, will have show notes where those links will be included. So you can, um, on the podcast page of my website, uh, catch uh, those if, if listening isn't, isn't getting them for you. And so, Josh, I want to thank you so, so much for your time today. This was great. We're going to book totally. a part two and have you come yeah. back on. And That'll listeners, yeah, if you've got comments uh, on whatever platform you're listening right now, just leave leave a comment so that we can see if you have any questions or any feedback for us about the episode. So thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Karen. You too. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes. Okay. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much. You got it. All right. Bye-bye.